You're listening to Reach, a podcast created for professional bloggers to help you expand your reach and maximize your bottom line. I'm your host, Val Geisler, professional blogger and marketer at ConvertKit. An online platform begins with a blog, and yet the title of blogger is often met with some stigma. Blogging as a career is possible, and making a living doing something you love is becoming a reality for more and more people. But is blogging for everyone? Today, we're talking to Yaro Starak of The Entrepreneur's Journey. Yaro is the author of the Blog's Profits Blueprint and founder of the Entrepreneur'sJourney.com blog. He began blogging over 10 years ago, initially as a hobby. However, as his income from blogging surpassed $10,000 a month, he decided his future lay in this new publishing medium. Yarrow shares with us how he started blogging by accident, why history has proved to him that you have to have experience in the field you teach on your blog, and how knowing your true definition of freedom can determine your success as a blogger. If you find yourself feeling inspired by today's interview and want to impact your own reach right away, get your free action guide from this episode at convertkit.com slash reach, or just click the link in your podcast player. Let's find out how Yaro Starak achieved his reach. Hey, Yaro. Thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Val. Happy to be here. Yeah. From one podcaster to another, it's nice to have a, another pro behind the mic on the show with me. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a while. I podcasted back in 2005, so it was yeah. uh, <laughs> early days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was definitely early day podcasting, and I know that it's really exploded lately. Um, did you, you know, just to kind of dive in and, and we'll go back to, um, to your story, but I just have to know, did you find podcasting to be, um, something that was incredibly, you know, expansive with your reach at the time when it was still really early? It was, you were one of the, the first doing it at that time. Yeah, I think I was possibly one of the first blogger podcasters who decided to, you know, do both at the same time, which is common now, but, you know, the, the two different mediums were still very much two different mediums, a writer or an audio person usually didn't cross mm. those lines. It, it was good for my reach uh, in, in ways that I, I guess I didn't expect it to be. I, I mean, I was very green and there were no, you couldn't kind of go and just look at iTunes and see these amazing podcasts and know that there was a path you could follow. So when I started doing the podcast, it was literally, let's just start talking and then eventually a few episodes later let's start doing interviews and uh what i found was amazing that my, my download numbers weren't huge because there you know we didn't have smartphones with uh these apps that were so easy for listening to podcasts and you know most people didn't even know what a podcast was let alone <laughs> you yeah. know how to find software to use one so you yep. know i didn't suddenly have a million listeners like people seem to get today within a few months you know um, and it was more around the few hundred listeners and the few thousand listeners. But what was amazing was the sense of connection with the people who did listen. I, I did, guess I didn't really see that coming as a, a writer first. I know I thought writing was a great way to connect with people, but there was something even deeper because of that voice, you know, coming through on the line, the personality coming through stronger. And uh, that was that was really effective. And then you know, going forward, as I eventually, because I didn't have any products of my own yet, when when I started to release products, it was amazing how many people said, I decided to buy from you after listening to your podcast, because there was, 
you know, something that they got either from me interviewing someone who was a graduate of one of my programs or even just interviewing someone who did something that was similar to what I teach. You know, any kind of person having success as an online entrepreneur with their own platform, basically. So, yeah, it was a really powerful connector. Maybe not quite as huge a reach as I would have liked compared to what, you know, fast forward five years later and all the new guys came along when iTunes was going through its massive growth phase because the app was on the, on the iPhone and, you know, you could just be in the new and noteworthy section in iTunes and suddenly have 10,000 or 20,000 subscribers in 24 hours. That would have been like my entire yeah. three years worth of results in, in 24 <laughs> hours. So, and, and like you said, even just the awareness of what a podcaster is. I mean, we didn't in 2005, we didn't have this American life and serial and people weren't listening to podcasts every time they went for a run or topped in the car. So no. um, it's a very different world. And, you know, it's it's neat to see that even though you had this successful blog and your experience was in writing, you were able to step a little bit out of your comfort zone there and and take it to to the audio side and see what kind of results you got um, from from doing that. And it sounds like it obviously worked pretty well because people felt a real connection to you by hearing your voice and and hearing you interact with your guests and even just sharing your own thoughts on the show. It was fun. And like you said, it was uh, definitely a step out of the comfort zone. Have Being an introvert and hiding behind the computer and typing is, is quite different to suddenly talking to people, even though they're not there. When you do that first podcast, if you're a bit shy or introverted, as I was back then, you, you kind of have this feeling like there's suddenly people listening to you. It's really strange. They're not really there, but they feel like they're there. So you get nervous about it. And uh, yeah, that was actually great for me to push through any kind of public speaking nerves. It was like a gateway to becoming a bit more active speaking as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I can definitely relate to that. Um, but I do want to go back and and talk about the, the blog that you had before you started the podcast. And tell us a little bit about who you are, Yara Starak, and entrepreneur's journey, and everything that um, that you 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 stand for today, and what that looked like pre podcast, pre um, you know when it was just you and your computer, um, you know living the laptop lifestyle, as you mentioned on the blog. Yeah, I'm glad you used that phrase because that's that was the. The main goal, I didn't really didn't call it then a laptop lifestyle, but the goal for me as a, an 18-year-old coming out of high school in, in Brisbane, Australia in 1998, so it was basically the start of the dot-com boom, the original one, uh, I just knew I didn't want a job and I certainly hated the idea of working for someone, waking up under an alarm. Um, all the things that you had to do in school, you know, you had a boss at school because you had to be there and you had to get up early to get to school in time. So all those things I didn't like about my life, suddenly I wanted to be in control of those aspects of my freedom and my time. I wasn't sure, uh, to be honest, how to do that. All I know is people have seem to either inherit money as a way to get that freedom, which wasn't on the cards for me, uh, or have some kind of business. So I was always interested in entrepreneurship and, and those people seem to have the most freedom and, you know, obviously financial success, but that also leads to other types of freedoms. So I was looking at starting businesses. I actually thought about doing an internet cafe when they were first getting started, you know, a bunch of computers in a room. And I had a friend of mine who, who did that and he was successful, but he was working 18 hour days. He slept at the cafe sometimes. So 
I was like, that's that's more work than a job. So I will we'll cross that one off the list. Um, and it was fortuitous timing to be to be simple. I got on the internet. Part of my university studies was a, a dial-up account. So while the internet was growing up in a, a business perspective, it was becoming you know a place to do commerce with the the early big companies starting to rise up like Amazon.com and eBay.com. You know, before Google, before Facebook, or any of that. But I was able to sort of see that as an avenue for starting a business, which got me excited. I, you know, I eventually had my first website about a card game I used to play called Magic the Gathering, which was uh, a big hobby for me from about 16 years old to 2021. Uh, so a bit of high school and a bit of university. So it was natural to you know build a website about the thing that was really a big part of your life at the time. Um, it was almost like running you know like a magazine, like you would have had a newsletter back in the day. I started a website on GeoCities to begin with. People who were long, oh yeah, I remember GeoCities. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my first ever website, GeoCities, and then I figured out how to buy a domain name. Uh, you know, set up hosting. Uh, I was on my my initial hosting account was with like my my ISP, so it was a terrible domain name. And uh, I just kept putting time into growing this entity, writing articles. People started showing up, you know, spent a lot of time on bulletin boards and forums and, um, you know, areas that today, I guess, would precursors to social media. And, and the site did well. I grew a, a base, started making some money from advertising, started my own e-commerce store selling uh, Magic the Gathering cards. So I actually started buying at wholesale rates. So it was a great entry to the, the world of internet business, but I eventually grew, I guess, grew out of playing the game, um, lost interest as a, as a game player. And I still enjoyed the website, but, it, you know, eventually that was, it was really, I guess it was reaching a cap potential and I want to do something bigger. And that was when the dot-com bubble burst. Uh, so, you know, it was a bit more, I think, um, uh, realism had entered the internet then. So I started an editing company where I was a middleman between university professors and students at universities who were coming from non-English speaking backgrounds who had trouble writing academic English. So um, I connected those two. I built the website. I did the, the search engine marketing to try and you know bring traffic to it. And it became my, my first sort of successful, I call it a laptop lifestyle business, which essentially would be what most people know of as uh, almost like a Tim Ferriss business. I think Tim has kind of monopolized the idea of a, you know, a muse or, or any kind of business that it's a lifestyle business, not a startup. It's not about taking 12 hours a day. It was something I could travel with. I just had to check the email once or twice a day to make sure that the jobs were going between the, the editors and the clients. And uh, it, it was slow to grow. And when I graduated university, I put myself into it full time. And eventually it became uh, my full time income. And we like during the best years, it, it broke six figures in revenue. So never really huge, huge business, but a great, uh, yeah, just a great lifestyle business. The only problem yeah. with it was I got a bit bored because, you know, no one talks about this. But when you make a lifestyle business, your goal is to create freedom and then you get freedom. You don't, you know, suddenly you don't, you know, have to, you might want to make more money, but your bases are covered. So I, I reached a situation where I was like, well, I'm the only one of my friends doing this and everyone else has gone to jobs. So I don't really see them anymore. Uh, it was early days, 2002, 2003. So there weren't a ton of meetups or certainly no social networks where you could find people like you. So I kind of was, 
sort of floating around and I had all the spare time from building this lifestyle business. So that's actually what eventually led to blogging um, by chance, to be absolutely honest. So, you know, 2004 came along and blogs were just going to hit their their start around then. They're about to go through that explosion period in 2005, 2006, 2007. And I started one because a friend said, listen, blogs are just getting so much free traffic from Google, which by then was becoming the main search engine. Uh, you should do one. I didn't know what it was. Put one up on my editing company, and it was a, a blog designed to get customers to an editing business. So I started writing about you know, how to format your essays. It was the most dry, boring subject that I just struggled to write frequently about. But I did love writing about the running of the business. So I started to talk about the behind-the-scenes stuff of this, this business. And I realized I love writing about being an entrepreneur. So the editing business blog was a short-lived experiment of about three months. But the actual idea of blogging really set in. And by before this, I was by no means interested in writing, interested in publishing online, beyond just having these little businesses. Uh, so, you know, to become a blogger and potentially have some sort of, I don't want to call it fame, but, you know, to actually be known in your industry was not on my mind at all. Like people weren't talking about personal branding because, again, social media was still around yeah. the corner. So that that idea was new. Blogging really kicked off social media, to, to be fair. So, um, but I started a blog, 2005 Entrepreneur's Journey, and that was meant to be a hobby. Uh, it was meant to be a place where I could talk more about being an entrepreneur and explore writing and, and see where it went. And, um, you know, the rest is history. 10, 10, 11 years later, I'm still doing it. So <laughs> it's amazing. And, it, you know, you, you use that word blogger. And uh, it's something I, I want to talk about for a minute, because there is an uh, you use both the word blogger and entrepreneur in uh, in the way you talk about your work and and even on your site and in what you teach and there is a little bit i find a, a, a kind of stigma like um we always joke at convertkit like we're going to make sure that blogging isn't a, a bad word mm. you know um, there's a bit of a stigma for a lot of people who consider themselves to be entrepreneurs. They're starting businesses online. Their goal is to make money from the outset. Um, and they s hear the word blogger and think like, oh, no, it's not a hobby. I'm, I have a business. Um, a lot of people associate blogger with like, oh, that's a fun thing that you do. And you take especially, um, you know, there's like the, the fashion blogger world and all these different. And there, that's definitely a money making venture in and of itself, mm -hmm. um, if you want it to be. And I don't know if it's like, still a holdover from people having like dot blogspot domains <laughs> or um or what but do you find that you have to break the stigma a little bit about that word blogger yeah i mean i've had to from the beginning i mean it's still a problem like you talk about because i i almost don't want to say i teach people how to make money blogging because that immediately tells people that oh i have to be a blogger to make this work and they don't mm -hmm. see themselves as bloggers like i didn't either to begin with you know some people know they love to write and it makes sense that they see themselves having a website and a blog is the way to do that but that's not necessarily an overlap with like you said an entrepreneur 
So that's actually why I started my last uh, campaign. I, I avoided the word blog and said launch your online platform because I actually wanted to see whether that would bring in a different mindset. Just you know, managing expectations of what kind of business we're, we're starting here. It's it's really and about, what'd you find? Well, I found it was a successful campaign. That's for sure in terms of like you know running one webinar and, and uh, people really liked it. Um, and I, I even introduced at the start of the, the presentation, I said, so what is an online platform? And I, says, I said, it begins with a blog. But I actually wanted to address this idea of it isn't blogging kind of dead now. Like because we use social media, we, we spend our time on Facebook or Instagram or, or Pinterest. So blogging is not part of the equation anymore. And you know, I had to point out to people that the blog was still the center point for most things you do, whether it's putting your podcast you might you know focus on podcasting but you still host your podcasting on the blog you, mm. you might be sharing a bunch of images on pinterest but you still put them on blog posts and then share them through pinterest and hope to get people back to the blog to try and get them to sign up to an email list so the blog really is the hub and central area but no matter what you do as you talked about there is a stigma with being a blogger and what the connotations of that are even from the early days of oh it's just like writing about what you have for breakfast or yeah. you know diarizing your boyfriend or your girlfriend experience or something like that so you know it, it's it became a business tool very quickly and, and you know blogs are like 25 percent of the websites and today are, are all blogs powered by wordpress and they're they're not writing about their breakfast they're you know really big companies behind some of these blogs but yeah, there is an issue there in terms of, I guess, the the expectations and what people ex see it as, assuming you're going to a general population. You know, obviously, if you go into any web-savvy world, people know what a, a blog actually is, and yeah. you know, it's not that hard if that's your target market for them to understand um, what you're doing, but... I, no matter what, I still always have to point out, no, you don't have to be a writer. No, this is not journaling. You know, this is a business tool. It's just the new, it's funny saying new because it's not really new anymore, but it's the <laughs> new form of website. So yeah. that's what I kind of always try and say. Do you need a website to have an online business? Yes. Okay. Well, that's basically what you're doing here. You're, you're building your online presence. It's your platform. The blog is just the tool you use to do that with. That's right. We talk to people about it every single day. And, uh, you know, I always remind people, okay, well, if you do, you, you don't think you're a blogger. Okay, well, are you creating content on your website that draws people into your business to hire you in for your services or to buy your products? Uh, yeah, I send I set, post on my blog once a week or twice a week or whatever it is. Um, and, and those blog posts, you know, promote my products or services. Great. You're a blogger. Um, <laughs> and they're like, no, I don't want to be one. What do you mean? Right. Yeah. You're also an entrepreneur and, um, and you're a, you know, a, a product creator and you're a professional and there's, um, there's absolutely, it's not, it's not the B word, you know, it's not a bad word anymore. Um, blogger is a, a very valid career choice as, as you have proven, I mean, you've made over a million dollars building a blog. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it is funny, too, even like that word entrepreneur, you know, like I, I kind of sometimes feel like, well, not sometimes, all the time, I have to point out that because I, especially I teach how to make money blogging and therefore a lot of my subjects on my blog cover the same subject. 
And when your products are very much related to that, you get put into the, well, you only teach people how to make money by teaching people how to make money. Isn't that like some sort of pyramid scheme type thing going on there? Right. And, and, uh, I've always point out as a, my own ego sense as well. Well, no, there's a qualification period you go through of being an entrepreneur. In my case, like I have an entrepreneurship blog, which started as a place to talk about my editing company and my magic, the gathering e-commerce store. And I had an English school at one stage in the real world that didn't do very well, but I still wrote about it on my blog. And I had, I used to buy and sell websites as a, an income strategy as well. So like an investment strategy. So all this stuff went on an entrepreneurship blog and that's what led to growing an audience. That's what led to then being able to sell these products and and make, you know, over a million dollars from, selling teaching products online but there was a bunch of you know seven of years of my life and then ongoing beyond that before i even started the blog that created the the qualifications this is often what i have to tell a lot of my my students my coaching clients because they'll come into the saying well can i start a blog journaling or journeying as they call it because mine's a journey blog journeying my process to to make money because i have you know they're not there yet they're starting from the ground zero but they figure well pat flynn did it and you did it and you know there's another guy john chow did it and this other guy you know everyone seems to at at some point you know they're doing really well essentially teaching how to make money using a blog about how to make money you know that's what pat does as well that's what john lee dumas kind of does as well with his podcast it's a podcast about making money with a business that then makes money because of that subject. So, (laughs) you know, who doesn't want to jump on that bandwagon when you're seeing the income reports from all these guys too, right? So, uh, so there's that idea that I'm going to journey my process and I'll build an audience and make money. And that's what they, they start doing. And I have to always tell these people, in fact, I have an article I refer them to on my blog that if you want to become a teacher of how to make money, you have to either have made money at some point in your life doing something. It doesn't have to be, you know, blogging. It could be anything, real estate, you know, stock exchange, whatever it is you've done. And then you can start teaching how to do it. Or you have to be an incredibly good experimenter. You know, you, you have to constantly be testing things and showing results because people don't read a journey unless you're actually going through a journey. So I think that's often where they get the the sense of oh okay maybe I don't want to write about this because you know I only I'm only passionate about journeying my process to make money because ultimately I just want to make money that's the difference if you discover that then it kind of makes you realize well no at the heart of what I do if I'm starting to build my online platform there has to be some some kind of personal motivation beyond just the making money because if you don't make any money from it within a month or two you're done because you, that's right you're not going to bother so and that's why something like 80 percent of blogs that are started are never they don't exist after six months right. um there's there was a study that was done recently that that showed you know all these blogs and the the kind of lifespan that they have of activity from a poster um, from the admin on the blog and I think it was through WordPress specifically, and it was like eighty percent of them were considered failed because the admin or the the po- you know the owner of the blog wasn't posting on the blog um, after a set period of time something like you know it had been six months since they had last posted, and uh, and that that breaking point was about six months in because they were 
um, losing steam and they weren't passionate about what they were blogging about. And it had truly just come down to I'm here to make money and not I'm here to share a message or to um, or even just to blog about their own experience like you did with your your writing that, you know, really you were sharing um, on on the writing, the editing blog, you were sharing about growing the business because maybe a little bit chronicling for yourself and like, oh, this is what I've done. And and then also to share your own experience. Like you said, you have to have that experience to back up what you're teaching. Which is a bit of a challenge sometimes for people who only see it as a, a business vehicle and don't really understand that, yes, you're being a blogger. Yes, you might be also becoming a teacher and a writer here. And, and that, I think, for me is... The biggest hurdle now to get people over is they don't see themselves as an expert or a teacher. Uh, and yet anyone who's going to produce content on some level, not even blogging, but if you're going to start sharing pictures on Instagram or Pinterest, there's an element of, of teaching there just because you're a publisher. You, you publish, you teach, you can't help it. It's just the way we interact as human beings. So getting people the way over that mindset of I'm not a teacher, I'm not an expert, I just want to share things I like. Well, you share things you like, you're actually teaching. So, uh, you know, that's another another hurdle to get people through. All these mindset hurdles. It's, I think I, it's the irony of being an entrepreneur teacher, as anyone who knows who's taught business before, everything comes down to mindset, yet most people come into the world asking for, hey, how do I get more traffic or how do I get more sales? And you kind of don't realize that, you know, that's step five and six in this seven step process. And if you're skipping one and two, which is mindset and, you know, getting the foundations right and target market research, all that, five and six don't even matter. You can learn every best traffic technique and every best conversion technique out there but you're just going to be completely off with your messaging and your personal mindset's going to be screwed up so you're you're just not going to have follow through and that's yeah. uh, you know that's a deal breaker i think that's why a lot of courses that teach entrepreneurship or or blogging as a business and do do kind of drip content so that they you don't you can't jump ahead to lesson five <laughs> you yeah. you have to go through one two three and four first and then we'll get to the more specifics um, but if you have all the lessons all at once it gets a little a little messy and people jump ahead Yara do you think that everyone has something to teach I think everyone has something to teach whether they want to take on the role of teacher as part of a business is a different question though. I mean, the, the human race, the way we learn is entirely based on the other humans around us. So you can't not teach. You can be sitting on the couch as long as you have other human beings observing your behavior, you're actually influencing them. You might be going, I don't want to be like that guy and sit on the couch all day, <laughs> but still mm -hmm. you're having an influence on them. So I think it's impossible. It's just, I mean, that's kind of the way life was designed is we're, we're all this, you know, we're one big organism and we're interacting and learning from each other. So it's actually a beautiful thing because that's what we, you know, you can almost see your purpose here to be the best version of yourself because everyone else is watching what you're doing. So that's, you know, that's the basic level. But for, a, I guess, a more practical intention with, you know, what we're talking about here, blogging, internet marketing, entrepreneurship, I don't think everyone is meant to sit there and produce content in a structured format and then sell products that are education-based products. That, to me, requires someone who really actually enjoys that process of creating a webinar, jumping on a podcast and talking about their subject, sitting down and recording a bunch of video to create a course. You know, those are 
activities that not everyone is necessarily going to love to do. And that's fine. I mean, that's, that would be crazy if we all love doing that because, you know, then what would the doctors and the, and the engineers and everyone else, you know, where they come from. So, uh, but I think the short answer is yes, everyone has the potential to do that. It's then a case of the choice of wanting to devote time to setting up the structure on the internet to do that. And that's a different question. That's not for everyone. Yeah. So at Entrepreneur's Journey, you really focus in on on the people who who it is for, who are willing to do the work to um, to take themselves on, both from the mindset standpoint and also from a a practical standpoint of what is what are the steps I need to to take to to get to where I want to go. Um, do you find that I think? It's probably something similar to your own story of starting a Magic the Gathering site and then having the editing um, service and then the blog that went along with that and now teaching entrepreneurship. Um, do you find that people come in with one game plan and end up executing on a different one? I mean, there's always change. Uh, what I, I personally try and find now through my marketing, my kind of ideal client, is the the person who's already done something and actually really has said to themselves, I want to turn this knowledge into an online education business or a teaching business. Basically, they want to build a platform around what they know, share what they know through all the content mediums we have online, and then make a, make a living selling ebooks, courses, a membership site, whatever model they want to choose, or all of those things. That's, that's what I do today and have done for you know, the last six, seven, eight years now. And that kind of person is is unique as well. You know, they have to be coming into that with with that goal, and they're a perfect client for me because I don't have to try and help them figure out who they want to help and what they want to do. I just have to give them the the system and and go through the process. Now, in that part of it, there's always a change of expectations to what you think you have to do to what you actually have to do. But that's you know that's the learning process. You know, the simple thing might be. It's actually funny, you know, if anyone who's done this before, they, they go, okay, I need a website and I need an email list and I might need a podcast. Maybe I'm going to do some webinars eventually because everyone's saying that they're great for selling stuff. I'll probably need a social media account. I'll have to get my Facebook and my Twitter and my LinkedIn and my interest, uh, Instagram and maybe start using those. And then that starts becoming overwhelming. It's pretty quick when you start seeing what everyone else is doing, especially people who are three or four years down the track. You go, how on earth is this guy running a podcast every day and a blog and has products out the door and seems to be posting on every social platform all the time? <laughs> you know, like, we're, we're, is there something I'm, I'm not I'm missing here? Is there some kind yeah. of you know robot that does all this for you, some sort of software that makes it work or... Uh, you know, they don't, you don't realize that they've built one thing after the other and hired people along the way as their income has grown. So for me, the, the most important lesson I teach everyone, and it's been so important for my own sanity, not just my own business, is understanding the importance of learning how to ignore things. Because I really believe that, especially today with knowledge overload information overload the problem is not finding the things you need to do or learning about them it's having too many to do so the skill set is actually identifying the one or two things where really it's just one thing for the one moment you're in now to deal with the one next step you need to take and ignoring everything else so learning how to ignore all the things you don't need to do today 
even though they might be exciting, like who doesn't love the idea of having a, a huge Facebook group or a massive Instagram account, but you probably just need to buy a domain name and get an opt-in box mm. on a blog right now, you know, yeah. forget about everything else and do that. And but people don't know the order of things. And that's where I get, the, I guess that, you know, my, my advantage comes in having helped so many people go through the process, have, having gone through it myself over almost 16, 17 years now in different businesses, I have the power of some significant hindsight and just being immersed in this world. So I know, well, this is what you got to do now. And then obviously look at your own personal skill set and we can decide what you have to do next. But the most important thing don't do all these things yet because you'll quickly do a bad job with them all, feel overwhelmed and lousy, and then do nothing well. So yeah. ignoring is a key skill. And we talk a lot about expanding reach and growing your reach on this show. Um, do you believe in, in ignoring certain things around you in order to expand your reach? It, it sounds a little counterintuitive, um, but what's your experience been when when people ignore? Do they do they actually expand their reach when they do that? Well, that, that it's a, it's an issue of focus. That's the beautiful thing about ignoring what thing you do choose then gets what it deserves, which is the lion's share of your attention. And that's when you get the power of all the growth metrics like, you know, compounding, uh, the flywheel. If you've studied uh, some of um, Jim Collins, good to great, you know, all, all these concepts that only can trigger in a business leverage can trigger when you actually pick something and put most of your energy there because it let's face it uh, there's there's an initial inertia that you have to you know, move past any momentum to get things going and if you're dividing five percent of your energy across 10 different platforms to expand your reach not one of them will get going you'll just be one of those people drowned out who has maybe 20 followers on one channel and 10 on another and 100 on this you know that's your best platform is 100 people where if you just tossed aside Instagram and Pinterest and LinkedIn and Twitter and then you just said, you know what, I'm not even going to have anything other than my own blog or website, my email list, because you need to have those things. That's your basic assets. And then what I'm going to do is spend 100% of my marketing time, my, my outreach, on just the top three Facebook groups in my industry. And I'm going to go into those groups. I don't even own them. I'm just going to go into them and just be ridiculously helpful every day, all day long, <laughs> you know, all day long, but a good chunk of your time, your marketing yeah. time will be devoted to that. And that will do way more for your, you know, your brand, your exposure. People will start looking for you because they keep seeing your name. I see this now in the groups that I'm in. There's always two or three people who just keep providing value over and over again. Um, or it's a podcast. You know, you might just go, I'm just going to do nothing but get myself interviewed on other people's podcasts or, you know, maybe do both, but it's the concentrated focus on one channel. Like I actually think, and you know, Pat Flynn and I have talked about this, but he had that I, the idea of the be everywhere a few years ago and promoted that. And the, you know, the intention was great. The internet is full of so many different marketing channels and you can be everywhere. And I remember uh, for those who might follow internet marketing channels, there's a, a guy named Rich Sheffrin who also talked about the, uh, the need to be on all these platforms. But he, he kind of broke that down and said, the problem here is we're trying to be on all these platforms by ourselves, where traditional bricks and mortar companies who would have been 
in their day trying to be on all platforms, getting on radio, getting on television, getting in print media, getting in magazines, getting in newspapers. It wouldn't be one person sitting behind a typewriter trying to get all those results. It would have been a company behind these things. So it's weird that we went on the Internet as independent entrepreneurs and decided that we should do all this ourselves. So the key is understanding that that's just not realistic to begin with. Focusing on one platform to get momentum, to get cash flow. Then when cash flow starts coming in, strategically apportioning some of it to another channel to help you grow. Maybe hiring a social media manager or hiring a podcast person because I'm pretty sure Val is not the founder of ConvertKit, like the original no. one person <laughs> doing it. But you are now their head of podcasting, if I'm yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. So you've been hired to do this one marketing channel to help grow ConvertKit. So, and they have to have the cash to pay you a good salary to do this. And that came from getting the basics right first. So you know, be everywhere is the potential for the day you've got you know, the first cash flow, not, 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 not the first cash flow, be everywhere is probably the day you're making 100000 a month because you can devote 50000 of it to hiring all these people to help grow each different channel. So for most people, one channel, focus, ignore everything else, focus on cash flow above everything else, and then look at the growth into other outreach channels. Yeah. And that was uh, when Nathan Barry started ConvertKit. It, it was a distinct choice and he talks about this on his blog of um he was running his his book authority and his products on his blog and very successful doing that um and he had this little software that he had built to help manage his email lists on the side and um, he had to make a choice to either double down on convert kit time money energy all of those things or to walk away from it and it was when he doubled down on ConvertKit that it really took off. So, you know, exactly what you're talking about, whether it's a software as a service business, whether it's a product-based business, whether it's a, a purely um, purely service-based, um, if you're doing one-on-ones with people or, or group programs, um, you know, those those are truly that's the place to to double down to to decide. Um, everyone talks about niching um, and like picking your niche and using that term uh, or that terminology around just ignoring everything else is a great way to think about niching down, um, even in the services that you offer, not offering a, a wide variety of things like, oh, I do I do social media and I do video editing and I do um, blog writing and I do all these, you know, all these different things, just picking one and and really saying, this is what I stand for. This is what I do. And then going out there and in to those those channels that are going to most benefit you in that world mm-hmm. and that's so powerful so so i have to ask then what do you ignore <laughs> well the, more and more i think the older i get the more i ignore because the internet got crowded more crowded with more tools right like yeah um, sure i mean i was late to the game to twitter to, to facebook um now to webinars you know i kind of watch other people go and make a crazy amount of money and go, maybe I should give that a go and see what happens. <laughs> you know? I have the, the luxury, and I, I, I say this with gratitude, that I, I put in a bunch of time writing a bunch of blog posts during the first few years of my blogging. And it's not that I've stopped, but the volume and uh, the amount of content I produce obviously slowed down over the years, but my blog continued to be this content asset it's an asset that brings me subscribers so whether i do anything else my blog is always helping to bring customers to my business and that's kind of why i tell people you know 
own your asset, build the blog, get this steady stream of, of traffic because it'll be there for you. Like it's, it's 10 years now, almost 10 years I'm about to hit of getting 50 to 100 new email subscribers from my platform, my blog, with, with certainly not me writing sometimes once a month. So it just, and that's consistent every day and reliable. So whatever it is, you need something like that. It doesn't have to be blogging. You know, you can perhaps get a great Instagram channel and get a bunch of traffic, but there's always the risk that Instagram might change their rules or, you know, switch off your account. So I always recommend, you know, own the domain name, own the email list. So, you know, I haven't become huge on a lot of the platforms i basically ignored i'm actually going through a hiring process myself building out my team uh, in recent years because well in particular last 12 months to start doing things better you know better graphics better slides and i've just hired a whole social media manager so you know start getting more presence on the platforms i don't personally control because i i can't you know i, I remember when people started talking about being everywhere and you know um, someone was saying, look at all the traffic I'm getting from SlideShare. And I'm like, I could turn every blog post into slides. And then I was thinking, well, Pinterest, well, every blog post I have should have great images and infographics, and then I could put them on Pinterest. But I also know I have to go spend time on Pinterest and network and you know make friends and follow people, have them follow me back. The, the challenge is every platform requires concentrated effort to actually make it into a, a marketing tool that brings results back to your business. Now, if you're just sort of repurposing a bit of content now and then, it's not going to do the job as well as the focus that we talked about earlier. So I've essentially, essentially ignored LinkedIn. I've ignored SlideShare. I've ignored Pinterest. I've failed miserably at Instagram, even though I keep doing it for fun. Um, <laughs> I've only just I think started. We all do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the selfie town um, webinars. I've just started doing, and yes, they work. But you know, I still prefer writing, and I think you know, I'll, I'll do that. Podcasting. I've been, even though I was an early starter, I was no you know daily podcast show. I was ah, I'll do it once a month, sometimes every three months. So it's been all over <laughs> the place. Um, what I, I kind of learned earlier on is you know, look at your core metrics. As long as they're good, okay, my blog brings in traffic, brings in email subscribers, my list keeps growing, then I can decide how much quicker do I want to grow things. So do I want to put more time into a new platform and push there? You know, the hustle as people who are entrepreneurs do, they hustle into a platform to try and grow it, or do I just want to step back? And for me, the laptop lifestyle, when I've sort of defined my goal, has never been about a business coming first the freedom comes first the business is the vehicle so you have to step back sometimes and go well what's the point of working harder for more growth like it's a kind of uh it's a situation i wish everyone who i ever come in touch with could experience when you can ask yourself like why do i need more money what am i going to actually do with it you know and it, it, it's it's a choice you get to make when you actually have enough money um, and at that, that point, you kind of go, well, you have to start choosing some things to do with your life that you actually enjoy that might make money, that maybe won't make money, um, but you're okay with your money. <laughs> You've got the bases covered. So, you know, I've, I've asked myself that every single year, every single time I plan what I'm thinking of doing. And that's why I've deliberately said no to many things. I've, I've had the opportunity to become a speaker around Australia and uh, essentially create this, what, based on the people I was going to work with, they had a model that makes at least a million dollars a year, 
as a paid speaker, you just travel around, you run some events, and then you sell your, your big year-long coaching package. And that was right up my alley because I sell coaching, I sell teaching, I have, I have this kind of information in me. And speaking was a little bit less in my comfort zone, but I was already doing some of it, and I, I could certainly push myself in that direction. But I was like, I don't really need to have, add another million dollars to my life in return for sacrificing all this time being on airplanes and traveling and spending whole weekends in a room talking to people, knowing as well that I'm an introvert and how I feel after even just a two-hour talk, I'm zonked. So mm. the idea of a 48-hour-long talk uh, was like, whoa, that's way too much. So the, you know, the cost to my freedom for this potential financial gain, which what would I do with it? Buy another house. Okay, you know that's great, but that's not actually going to necessarily make me a whole lot happier or change my life circumstances. So I think it's really important to kind of go. I always feel funny talking about this because most people listening to it, unfortunately are not in a situation to choose purpose over money because they just financially can't yet. Um, if you can get those two things lined up, then it's brilliant if you can get, but you know, that's a process. And what they can do, though, is know their definition of freedom, because for some, it might be that amount of travel and uh, freedom might look like, oh, having somebody pay to send me all around the country. And um, and I, you know, I don't really want to be tied down in one place and I want to be in rooms full of people all the time. And and so that might be their definition of freedom. And in which case that opportunity is a great thing. Um, but for you, it was something very different. Yeah, and that's why you have to kind of know what you want to do. I think that's the yeah. choice you get right at the beginning is how do I want to make money now and in the future? Like what role in particular? Like I even look at, uh, you know, what Nathan is doing with ConvertKit and so many other people running software as a service companies. I actually started down a path in 2011 of my own little startup company like that following the same desire to create something a bit bigger than me, maybe sell it one day and... I kind of was like, wow, you know what? I, I don't hate this, but I like this so much less than being mm -hmm. a content creator. Um, you know, I like the, uh, the teaching and the sharing of ideas, and I didn't like the constant need to be fixing bugs in software, you know, pe pestering engineers. And that's kind of like what the job was for a long time, or trying to get customers to buy some software, which I didn't build. So, you know, maybe it's egotistical of me, but I love the fact that people buy my writing, <laughs> you know, yeah, buy my words. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm actually living a life that so few people get to live as a, being a paid author, so to speak. I get to sell my ideas and make great money from it. And that's that's rare. And as much as I I'm love the software as a service model, and I, I would never say no if I had a nice, you know, thousand customers paying me a subscription fee monthly who doesn't want that right and having your own software platform but i realized i didn't want to go through the process of, of getting to that point because that's just not my passion it might change in the future you know something comes along that really floats my boat in that using that model but right now i'm more interested in maybe writing books than i am creating apps if that makes sense which really just circles back to what you were talking about earlier that you have to know if you are if you love the process. Um, so for you, you love the process of you know building products and writing and and serving a, a group of people in that way, and and not necessarily the process of of starting a, a software company. Um, but it doesn't mean just because you didn't like starting a software company doesn't mean you're not meant to run a business on the internet. It just means that you're meant to run a different kind of business. Um, and so that's 
that's such a powerful lesson for especially people when they're starting out that if you run up against something that you don't like the process or and you don't you don't feel that great love for it it doesn't mean scrap it all together it means take a look at your your definition of freedom what you want from your lifestyle and and what options are out there with your own knowledge base and um, and pivot from there and maybe even seeking out some advice from someone who's been through the through all of it like you and, and try things I think one of the things we should mention here is people don't actually know answers to these questions yeah. yet you know I didn't realize I actually love the idea of having my own convert kit my own software as a service company uh, I thought it'd be a way to reach way more people so, you know we are talking about reach and let's face it you know software as a service can grow huge you can you could potentially have the next whatever big big business um, and uh, and who doesn't like the idea of, of getting massive funding potentially and being on TechCrunch and business insiders, you know, maybe like what lead pages has gone through recently in recent years, you know, and I get, I got, and I still do get swept up in the romance of the entrepreneur startup, big funding, big growth. You know, there, there's an aspect of the, the ego that loves that too, just like being a big author or a big writer or a big teacher, the same thing with the software. But then you also think, but I can start writing and I still have all my members paying me subscription fees for my software. That sounds better. So, you know, <laughs> why not do that? And, and not until you start doing that and realizing the steps you go through, you go, you know what, this is just not going to work for me. Um, and unless, you know, the, I think we ha you have to tie in so many different things. There's the dream of the end game too, which can often carry entrepreneurs so far through things they hate doing because they care about the vision so much. Unfortunately, and I, I kind of learned this by proxy earlier on in my entrepreneurial career, I noticed the entrepreneurs who I followed, there's this kind of like a treadmill you get on where you, you, meet your, you reach your first million. And then because you're now surrounding yourself with more successful people who are making five to 10 million, you want to make five to 10 million. Mm. And then you get to that point and then now you're fun, surround yourself with 20 to $50 million people who have maybe some private planes and you want that and nothing wrong with those things. But I spotted the treadmill of potential forever dissatisfaction. always comparing yourself to the next person. And that's what stopped me. And I go, Whoa, whoa. my life can't be defined based on whether I'm at the same level as other people. Cause there will always be people at the next level. So that's, that's a right. recipe for perpetual dissatisfaction. So, you know, that's when I really sat down and said, well, what do I define my success metrics at or even just happiness metrics at? And um, it, it really it scaled things down. And I, I hate saying that sometimes for people who are big of entrepreneurship because we're so uh, constantly told to hustle, dream big, have a vision, change the world, make a dent in the universe, because that's what our culture generally tends to enforce as well, at least the media does with as desirable outcomes in life, you know, make be a Steve Jobs. So in particular, the entrepreneurship community follows that blindly. And that's why I love the fact that there's a lifestyle entrepreneur, entrepreneur movement on the Internet who kind of see business as a vehicle for lifestyle instead of necessarily jumping on that treadmill, which can be can be dangerous. And that's such a beautiful tie in to how you use the reach that you have. It's really to, to live the lifestyle 
um, that that you created or that you intentionally created, um, even if it meant taking a step back from something you thought you wanted to reassess um, your your true desires, because it's not all about the money and the the fame and the 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 name all over the TechCrunch blogs, um, but it's it's really about what you want to do with the lifestyle that you're living, because you're the one living it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, it certainly is. And and that's, you know, going back to the idea of reach, I love the fact that an individual can start a, a, a website, a blog, and an email list, and it can reach so many people, and most of the time you have no idea who you're reaching or how you're impacting them, but your writing or your words, however you share them, does do that. And, you know, I, I've had the pleasure of meeting so many people over the years who came up to me and said, I read your blog, and th- you kick-started my career down this pathway, or you helped me you know, launch this or do that. And I had no idea. Like they never joined my products or anything like that. They just read articles or listened to a podcast episode or something like that. So, um, you know, there's that idea that when you, when you die, you, you get a review of your life and you also get to experience all the people you impacted. You get to kind of feel the feelings, whether good or bad, you know, the pe- the person you dumped when you're a teenager, you get to experience how they felt heartbroken because of you. But also you get to experience, you know, the, the, the little moment that you might have made someone happy without even realizing it. And I like to often think that on some level I get to experience every person who ever read a post on my blog and how that impacted their life and see the, the, the network effects that occur from that. And, um, you know, I, I, it's a kind of a funny way to look at your, your blog, <laughs> but I like to think of it that way. Um, as well, because even your, your you know your your most successful people who study under you, I look at some of my my graduates of my my flagship course, and they've gone on to reach millions of people themselves and inspire millions of people again. So the the compounding and the network effect of this is incredible. You don't realize that you're 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 part of this massive organism and having an impact in. in millions of ways without actually realizing it and that's uh that gives you can give you a lot of that sense of purpose behind what you do as well knowing that your words matter that's at the end of the day what you know it's really important and it really takes the the sting out of that that word blogger it really gives you some validity to to saying i'm a blogger and this is what i'm doing i'm really making an impact with other people so i'm so grateful for you sharing everything that you you brought to the table today because it's you know it's very much the same we have a i feel like i could talk to you for hours because we have a very similar mindset about um running a business and what it takes and and building building a blog and and living that that dream of of yours, whether you know it's your current dream or it's a dream you you've yet to have. So, thank you so much for being on the show today, Yarrow. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Val. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed talking about those subjects. That was Yarrow Starak of the Entrepreneur's Journey. You can find out more about Yarrow and living the laptop lifestyle at entrepreneurs-journey.com. Grab your free action guide from this episode to help you impact your own reach today. Head to convertkit.com slash reach or simply click the link provided right in your podcast player. It's time to expand your reach. We're so glad you started here. Thanks for listening.